All right, Lucky Anderson, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. How are you going? No, hey, mate, good, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to be here and uh, finally catch up for a bit of a chat. I know it took a little bit there to work out of time, so no, it's good to be here. It's good to have you on. Look, I wanted to get you on today to chat a little bit about your career. You've, you're only young and you've already done so many different things in the world of rugby um, and elsewhere as well. Um, I wanted to start off by talking about the Sevens. Obviously, you spent a few years playing with Australia and, and with the Rugby Sevens. It seems like an awesome lifestyle. You kind of get to travel the world and play, play footy. Um, I'd love if you could talk to you know, a little bit about that and what, I guess, a day in the life of a Rugby Sevens player looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time over with the Sevens program. Um, I kind of I kind of fell into it a bit during school. I was obviously played a lot of 15s growing up and uh, growing up, you know, I kind of was, was, was playing as much footy as I can. And um, year 10, I think I had a had a bit of a phone call from an old coach who kind of just asked me to come down to train on one night to kind of um, have a bit of a trot with the, with the New South Wales Sevens team because I think they were low on numbers. So um, I kind of... He kind of ringed me up. I said, yeah, mate, I'll come down. And at, at the time, I thought it was just going to be a bit of a bit of a fitness session for me. Like, I think it was pre-season for 15. So I just thought it would be a good chance to just go and, and have a bit of a trot. And then, um, you know, I think I went down and I must have trained all right because I think I got the core back the next week. So um, kind of that's kind of how I fell into it. And then um, ended up in year 12, uh, again, picked for like the Australian youth team. Uh, they went to like a youth comm games and then uh, went there, played that and then, um, was lucky enough to get contracted. I think uh, I think it was my first year out of school, so 2016. Uh, I joined the the men's program on a full time basis, um, and then yeah, as you mentioned, like I, I think I was with them for the five seasons, um, traveling all around the world, uh, playing in all different cities and locations, and um, yeah, look, I think I think the lifestyle that comes with the sevens is, um, you know, it's unreal. There's you know that travel side to it where you get to go to a lot of amazing places and. Um, you know, go to some countries that I probably never would have gone to uh, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for sevens. And um, but on the flip side of that, I think a lot of people underestimate how grueling um, you know the sevens uh, training schedule is, playing the traveling um, and the toll that kind of takes on your body as well. So um, yeah, look, really loved my my time during uh, my time at the sevens. Um, got a lot of fond memories, a lot of great mates, and um, you know holds a special place in my heart. But um, yeah, got nothing but uh, love for that program and, and what it did for me and my time I spent there. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's probably something that's overlooked. Like you said, um, obviously the games might only be seven minutes long, but then obviously the, the frequency with which you're playing and the fact that you're going everywhere all over the world and playing so consistently probably takes a toll. Is there a particular tournament or a particular place in the world that you look back on as being you know, one of the best experiences with the Sevens? Um, look, it's, it's hard to pick one, um, as you kind of touched on that last question. I don't know even if I even answered it, but the lifestyle, um, you know, back, back there full-time based in Sydney at Moorpark for, for people that don't know that. So, um, I, I might circle back to the lifestyle first, if you don't mind, and then, yeah, sure. um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. But, um, you know, those boys train five, six days a week. Um, and you know, on, on, on some days I'll have two field sessions, um, and then, you know, in between that, you've obviously got your gym sessions, uh, your recovery, your team meetings, where you're doing all your review and an analysis of, you know, opposition. And um, so it's, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand that it, it is like a full-time job, if not, um, you know, longer hours just because of the, the training schedule and demand. Um, but on the flip side of that, um, 
you know, you traveling, you're playing overseas, living that kind of international lifestyle, um, you know, it has a lot of unique opportunities. But uh, to, to, to pinpoint one tournament, um, look, I think Hong Kong Sevens is is a crowd favorite. Um, you know, over there, it's got a lot of history behind it and, uh, you know, the crowd's wild over there. I, I think it's it was probably one of the places I remember uh, I was on the field and I had, I had probably my teammate three, four metres maybe to the side of me and, you know, we couldn't hear each other talk. So um, from an on-field perspective, that was amazing. And then, um, you know, I've, off the field, you know, I've been lucky to go to Oktoberfest through sevens in, in Munich. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to pick uh, one depending on, you know, the field, the, you know, the, the sevens in the, uh, where you're playing it or the city, um, you know, they're all amazing destinations and um, it's probably hard to, to narrow it in, but Hong Kong would probably be uh, right up there. Yeah, it's probably a tough question to try and get you to pick on the spot. Um, but you also were a part of the, the Tokyo Olympics. How was that experience to, I guess, be considered an Olympian and to, to be involved in the games there? Yeah, Tokyo was really unique. Um, obviously, 2020, um, we we were trending in the right direction as a program. And uh, I remember we were in Vancouver, actually. Uh, we came second. We lost the the, uh, the Kiwis in the, in the final over there. Uh, I think it must have been late March, maybe off the top of my head. Um, that was 2020 and uh, we Olympics was in June, July. Uh, we came home from Vancouver and I remember like 10 days later, um, COVID struck, airports were shut, no international travel, uh, all that kind of hit. So uh, we all left sitting there. Uh, obviously, Seven's been a worldwide international game thinking, you know, what's what what next? What's going to happen? Um, and, you know, we had to, had to sit there and wait for news on the Olympics to, you know, eventually be cancelled. Um, so with the cancellation of that, uh, I delayed everything by 12 months and, um, you know, I was fortunate enough uh, for the Melbourne Rebels to, to give me a call during that time. And that's when I, I actually made the move down south and and linked up with them to, to go back into the 15 side of things. And then uh, 2021, I was, again, fortunate enough that both programs were happy for me and collaborated uh, really well to allow me to do both. And uh, I ended up doing a whole uh, super rugby season and then went back towards the end and, and linked back up with the Sevens guys. And again, fortunate enough to get selected for Tokyo. And uh, it was, I think it'll probably go down as one of the unique most unique uh, Olympic Games in history because uh, I think uh, what a lot of people didn't know is that Tokyo was actually still in a state of emergency over there during the Games. So uh, we were in this really uh, strict, um, you know, COVID bubble in the village. Um, you know, you had people coming uh, from obviously everywhere in the world in this one place and uh, you're doing COVID testing daily, um, thousands and thousands of athletes. Um, but um, you know, we had to obviously compete with no crowds over there. So you had you went from a, a spectacle that was meant to be a sellout um, in a, in Tokyo Stadium, which uh, you know similar similar to Hong Kong would have been a very loud, very intense, uh, high pressure kind of situation to playing with no crowds, where um, it almost feels like a bit of a training run to us in, in a sense of how quiet it is when you're on the field. Um, but yeah, look, it was a uh, it was a really uh, you know amazing opportunity. Um, it's it's tough in Olympics. Um, you know, everyone obviously goes over there uh, to medal, um, and we ended up losing to to Fiji in the quarterfinal. And um, you know, for us, it was it was quite a disappointing campaign. And then you had to fly home. I think it was within forty eight hours post your event. Uh, so we flew straight to Sydney, and then we got put in quarantine for fourteen days. So wow. um, you know, you worked so hard towards you know one goal. Um, 
where you know you've had this massive build up to an Olympics and so much energy and effort and uh, emotion has gone into it, and then you fall short of your goal of achieving a gold medal, and you go sit in a room for fourteen days, and that's you know that's all you can think of. So, um, yeah, look, it was it was a crazy month, um, a lot of emotions, a lot of energy, um, but yeah, very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, it's kind of a weird sort of formula to, you know, go through a pretty devastating time and then to have to sit by yourself for 14 days. But as you said, it was a, it was, you know, a time in history where that's just the way things happened. Do you think that the, the absence of the crowds and, and the way it was all run, obviously so strict with COVID, do you think that might have had an impact on how the team performed or do you think it was just kind of on the day, just didn't go as planned? Uh, look, potentially, I think especially in the men's competition, um, you know, you look at the competition line, the Olympics, and I think especially the top eight nations, uh, if you look back at the World Series, of, you know, the previous two years, I think any of those eight nations um, were good enough to win the World Series, which, which is what we play on uh, in the normal, in the regular season. So, you know, you've got eight countries uh, at a very high standard who are peaking for an Olympic Games. Um, then you throw COVID in the mix. Um, I kind of, in hindsight, I, I, I might think that, I think the teams that were most successful at the games were the teams that were able to sustain playing regularly and consistently throughout COVID. Um, I think uh, the Australian team, our team in particular, uh, we we did the best we could in the situation. Um, obviously, uh, there's not a there's not an established domestic competition here, um, but I know that I know that the program did a great job of 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 getting one up and running and getting the boys as many minutes as they could. Um, so. Look, I don't think there's any excuses uh, in the sense of uh, COVID was the reason why we didn't medal, but I think um, the teams that were the most successful were the teams that uh, adapted best uh, with that 12 months. And I think I think that 12-month delay uh, gave some teams a great opportunity and I think it hurt other teams. And, you know, I think you look at a team like Argentina who came third, I think that 12 months gave them uh, an incredible uh, opportunity to develop further as a team where I think a team like uh, Australia maybe uh, arguably um, you know I think we were peaking very nicely in 2020 you know where Vancouver came second a few months out of the Olympics um, where they, you delayed by 12 months I think you had a few guys transition a few guys you know injuries all that side of things but um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that uh, the results would have been different but I think it definitely had an impact on uh, on the games mm, definitely understandable now that you've kind of as you said transitioned down south to the Melbourne Rebels obviously playing 15 aside now do you find that transition difficult like how how different is the day in and day out of being a sevens rugby player versus a 15 aside player yeah um, definitely I don't think um, I wouldn't say the transition itself was uh, ridiculously difficult as you know growing up playing 15s um you know i'm obviously very comfortable in that area but i think um spending time in both camps um i think people underestimate how difficult that is as, I, as i'm a big believer that both the games are, are pretty separate now in the way they've evolved um you know sevens training for instance um you know you, you're working for shorter durations at much higher speeds so you're covering a lot more uh, high speed meters um, a lot more repeat efforts. Um, you're essentially working at higher intensities uh, where without getting into it too much, you know, your, your lactate threshold comes on a lot quicker. Um, fatigue sets in a lot earlier and uh, it's all about those repeat kind of efforts where I think in the 15 side of the game, um, 
again, the way it's evolved, you know, the bodies are, are huge. So it's a lot more physical upfront in the contact spaces. Um, yeah, it's a, you know, there's similar tactics in how you play both games, but I think, um, you know, one's probably more physical and one's probably more uh, tolling on the body. So um, I think that's probably the biggest differences I found, but um, I was fortunate enough to come to come down to the Rebels and have some great mentors early on in the piece that um, helped get me up to speed as quick as possible. And um, ultimately, it was just about uh, getting minutes on the park and and feeling comfortable again on on the fifteen side of things. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Did did you have to change like things like diet as well? Obviously, you would train different. Like in terms of the actual specifics of the game, you would be tra- training differently. But in terms of like the overall health and fitness, did you have to change a lot there? Um, look, I didn't, I, I was pretty lucky in the sense that, um, coming from sevens and then coming down to Melbourne as an outside back, um, a lot of those traits, uh, carry over, you know, it's, it's about speed, power, um, uh, fitness. So the attributes of the, of the physically, physical demands of the body, um, you know, were almost a, a unique match, um, from, from things like diet. Um, I definitely am playing at a heavier weight in the 15 game than I was at sevens, um, you know, I've probably have put on a little bit more muscle mass and that sort of thing, but it hasn't for me um, been a, a huge change in, in my day-to-day life. You know, I'm pretty – I like to think I'm pretty good at um, being organised and strict in what I'm putting into my body from day-to-day. So, um, yeah, I didn't – it was about small uh, and minor probably changes as opposed to huge differences. I guess that's a good – as you said, being an outside back, it probably makes the transition a lot – like far more easier than if you're a big forward having to significantly change your weight and change your playing style. Um, I guess growing up, was, was it always the plan to, to pursue professional rugby? Like how do you feel looking back? Is this kind of all a blur to you that it's just happened or is it something you really strived and worked towards and could you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah, look, it was always a goal of mine. Um, you know, growing up, I played my first game of rugby when I was four years old. I think uh, my dad... Uh, I think he was coaching my brother's team at the time and they had they, they were short on numbers. So he just threw a jersey on me and I think I didn't even touch the ball on my first game. So, you know, from that moment on, I played every year since. And, um, you know, you start to get a bit older and you start to uh, progress through the ranks a little bit. And then party starts to think um, that, you know, if you, you might be able to have a, a crack at this and, and see where it takes you. And, um, you know, especially when you're younger, before you've kind of got that first contract, you kind of think what if, um, and, and, and for me, um, you know, I kind of, I went all in, um, I made a lot of sacrifices when I was younger, um, to, to pursue this and, um, you know, while time has moved fast and it feels like only yesterday, you know, I was playing my first game and with the sevens program, um, it is something that I'm, you know, I'm super proud of and, uh, I do, you know, reflect on and, and look at what I have achieved up until this date. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud and honored and, um, yeah, it was, you know, being a professional rugby player was definitely a dream and goal of mine. Um, yeah. Definitely, yeah. It makes, makes a lot of sense. And it's pretty, it must be pretty cool looking back on those, like, aspirations now that you're actually in the position. You must feel pretty, pretty happy about that. Moving forward, like, is, is the 15-a-side game your main focus now? Is that what you're striving towards, really cementing yourself down at the Melbourne Rebels? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I enjoyed my time, as I mentioned, kind of thoroughly in the seven side of things. And, um, you know, while there is probably one or two things that, 
I still would like to achieve in the sevens domain. Um, you know, the next goal for me is 15s and, and trying to get, um, you know, progress there and, and go, uh, and go fully in on that. Um, you know, Melbourne, I've, I've loved my time down in Melbourne and I've been, uh, very grateful for the opportunity that they gave me to come down here and, and, you know, uh, see what I had. Um, but, you know, I've had a, especially in the last 12 months, um, I've kind of had back-to-back injuries. So um, that's, that definitely took a toll on me and, um, you know, physically, emotionally, it's, it's been quite draining. So um, I'm just really looking to try and, and get on the park consistently week to week in this next 12 months to, to you know, repay what the, what the Melbourne Rebels have done for me and, um, you know, see where that takes me. Could you talk, if you don't mind, about those injuries? So what actually, what injuries did you actually suffer over the last 12 months or so? Yeah, definitely. Um, in 2021, I I suffered a syndesmosis injury in the middle of the season. Just um, it kept me out for about 10 weeks. I missed uh, half the season, and then um, you know I ended up getting it back, getting back for the for the back end of the season and and before the Olympics. So um, that was it was a tough one, but uh, it was one that you know you, you happen it happens from time to time. And then uh, this year, uh, I had a I have what they call osteopubicitis, sorry, osteopubis, um, which is the short term for its OP, which is, it's basically an overload injury in your groin. Um, it's a lot of, it's, uh, uh, it's sometimes people can have stress fractures on their pubic bone, but essentially it causes a lot of, um, a lot of pain in that groin and pelvic region. Um, so um, I had it, uh, I had a big preseason and, I uh, probably was tolling away for it with a bit there in the background and I pushed and pushed and then um, I ended up playing round one this year um, and then I just my body couldn't really take much more. I was meant to play round two and then uh, I got to the point where I physically couldn't run anymore just due to the amount of pain I was in. So I had to had to pull right up and, and take some rest and then uh, I tried to get back towards the middle of the season. But again, my body just wasn't ready and I had to respect that and I had to take a bit more time than I originally hoped it was going to. Um, but you know, six months later, um, I'm kind of on the other side of it now, and ended up playing uh, my first game back uh, for my club Eastwood uh, in Sydney a few weeks ago, and uh, I'm feeling much better in my body, much more confident now, and uh, it's good to get through those injuries. But uh, when you go through those type of injuries, um, especially at this level, you know, you have your good days, your bad days, and um, you got to learn how to deal with that. As it's you know, it can be a bit of a roller coaster sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine it's pretty tough. I, I wish I knew which athlete said it, and I'm trying to think of it now. But I heard a quote once, which is talking about injuries, and it said, when you're a professional athlete and you're injured, the actual physical pain associated with the injury really pales in comparison to, to the mental pain of wanting to be out on the field, trying to always be playing in day in and day out. Um, and I guess that speaks to, to what you mentioned there, the, the, I guess the emotional toll that it takes, really just wanting to be out there, but your body doesn't allow it. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, for um, when you get injured as a professional athlete, you're essentially getting what you love to do day to day taken away from you. Um, so uh, when that happens, um, you got to find a way to deal with it, and you got to go back to probably what processes work for you. Um, but uh, I think when you play a contact sport for a living, um, you know, you, you you do get injured. It's the nature of the sport. So I think it's. It's how you can deal with that the best, and uh, when you learn to bounce back from that, and you, you know you're going to have bad days, but when you can bounce back from them as quick as you can, uh, I think that's when you see really good progress. So, um, 
you know, you learn a lot of lessons going through uh, such a dark time, I think. Yeah, I'd imagine it builds a lot of character and also makes the time that you get on the field even all the more better because you're probably a lot more grateful for it. As you said, you've been playing for, you know, for as long as you can remember. So um, probably stints on the sideline make you appreciate how good it is to be on the field even more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes, you know, you go through you know, a big preseason, you know, you put you put so much energy and effort into something and at the end of the day, that's the get picked and play week to week and put that jersey on. So um, when, you, when you're when you not in line to do that and you don't have that opportunity, um, you know, it is tough mentally. It's tough physically on your body, what, what it's going through, but mentally it's, it's even tougher. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's about learning to to deal with it and you know resilience comes into a lot of that and um, having good you know support structures around you uh, when people networks uh, to tap into that that can help you get through that definitely i think resilience would play a huge role looking forward do you as an individual set like do you set very specific goals about what you want to achieve moving forward in the game of rugby or is it more kind of take it day by day and really just on that grind of, of achieving as much as possible or is there something a threshold that you set in your mind that you really want to get to yeah no i'm pretty goal i'm pretty goal orientated um i think i think most athletes at this level uh you know if they don't have somewhat level of goals uh it's hard to to be successful and uh you know for me and i think for for every player out there playing in Australia at the moment, the end goal is to one day uh, pull on that Wallaby jersey um, and represent your country. Um, and, you know, I've been lucky enough to do that in the sevens format. Um, and I think it's a, anytime you get to pull on the coat of arms, uh, it's a huge honour and a privilege. And, um, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said that that wasn't the end goal is to one day become a Wallaby. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of short goals, uh, shorter term goals, sorry, uh, between here and there that, um, you know, you can call the process if you like that, you know, ultimately if you can tick those things off, it hopefully one day will get you to that end goal. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite goal-orientated, goal-orientated. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of faith that you'll get there one day and really hope that you do. Speaking of the Wallabies, did you happen to catch the game last Thursday night? <laughs> yeah, I was actually uh, there in attendance at Marvel, uh, lucky enough, in Melbourne. So I was, uh, I was there in person. <laughs> What did you uh, What did you think of the final call, the final whistle? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I, as many people have said, I uh, in my whole time playing rugby, I don't think I've ever called, I've ever seen that penalty blown ever. So, um, yeah, I thought it was extremely disappointing for the lads. Um, it was such a hard fought test match, um, and for it to finish on a note like that, where. I think it takes away from the players a bit where everyone's talking about the referee and his decisions. Um, I personally think it probably uh, could have been handled a bit differently and uh, probably could have achieved uh, the right outcome. Yeah, tend to agree. And hopefully it can spur them on to, to have some more success later in the series. Um, well, look, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been an awesome chat to get an insight both into, I guess, the 15-a-side game and the 7s game as well there's you know not too many players that have had as much success as you have in both sort of areas and some crazy stories around the olympics so it's really interesting and yeah thank you so much for for coming on and sharing it all no no dramas at all thank you for having me appreciate it no worries thanks again thanks mate cheers